So I want to talk a little bit about freedom. Um, and what I mean by that is in terms of the day-to-day, I don't know if you're like me, but I noticed that my happiness is almost entirely based on everything working out well to my joy or happiness or comfort. A bad day for me is when things break down, I can't figure stuff out at work, kids are fussy, I don't get enough sleep, and that totally dictates my moods. And I know in the gospel, um, in the Bible, various areas where there's this joy that is disconnected from everything working well. Think about the apostles when they were beaten and they felt joy that they could suffer on behalf of the Savior. Um, we got many examples throughout Scripture of joy not being tied to circumstances. So I'm on a pursuit <clears throat> to get there. And uh, I know it's going to be a long road. I know there's a lot of layers to the onion that has to be peeled back before I get to the root of the matter. And I know most of it's wrapped up in my own affections. And so that's where a book comes in. I've been listening to a book called Desiring God by John Piper. Um, and it, it's a defense of the idea of Christian hedonism. Um, hedonism, strict definition, is that it is the pursuit of pleasure. Um, we know it kind of negatively by, by a pursuit of pleasure in the world, by maybe lustful or, or other types of pleasure. And um, in a Christian realm, those things are sinful. But Piper has, has taken kind of a, um, a neutral view of the term hedonism, and uh, he calls himself a Christian hedonist. In other words, he is a pursuer of pleasure, but that pleasure, the target of that pleasure, is in God himself. Not even in the things that God provides, the gifts that he gives, or even in happiness itself, but the pursuit of the pleasure is really in God himself. His own person provides us pleasure, knowing him and relating with him, having him in our lives provides that pleasure. I, I believe that really is the good news of who God is. So that's my pursuit. And one of the things that <clears throat> John Piper was talking about in the book is early on he he felt this tension between doing God's will and pursuing pleasure. <clears throat> and um, I think he recall him saying something like, "If he heard this from preachers, that if you want to do God's will, you have to sacrifice your will on the altar. So he always felt, well, if I had, if I want to do God's will, then I can't be happy. And he felt this tension because, well, all of us, all of us want happiness and comfort. And most of us Christians want to do God's will. So his aha moment was realizing that we can pursue pleasure if that pleasure is God himself. And thus he calls himself a Christian hedonist. I, I thoroughly 
love that view. I, I think it, it marries our natural disposition of wanting to be happy uh, and, and merging that or marrying that with God's own desires. So the, in, in his chapter one of the book, he, he talks about the sovereignty of God and he's looking for the foundation of um, Christian hedonism. He's looking for the foundation. And, and he claims that God's sovereignty, and that's defined as nothing can thwart God's will. Nothing can keep God from doing what he wants to do. And that is really the basis for God's happiness. And I, I think I can relate to that. There's, there are moments where you find some free time and you realize, I can do whatever I want right now. I don't have any pressures. I don't have any obligations. I don't have any deadlines. I can just, I can choose to do whatever I want. And there's kind of a happiness that bubbles up out of us in those circumstances. And so look at the opposite of that. What happens when we are under intense pressure or we're in a situation that we can't control and, and or there are deadlines upon deadlines? Um, we don't really feel happy uh, unless you thrive in those kinds of circumstances. I guess I don't. I can't wait for the time for the pressure to be off. So God exists in this kind of um, state where there is nothing since he is the most powerful being in the universe, there is nothing that can can stop him from doing what he wants to do. And that makes him a happy God. And and that's important. Um, as I said before, we, we don't want to serve a God who's grumpy. We don't want to serve a God who's just looking to punish us at every wrong move. We want to be around a God who's happy. And when I've asked um, several people what do you think it would be like to hang out with God? Um, not many of them see him as a, a happy, joyful God. Many of them see see him as as the rule enforcer, as you know, God is love, but they just kind of seem to give that as lip service instead of really truly believing that God is tender and loving and gracious and uh, wants to embrace us. So. So I think it's important to reflect on the idea that God is a happy God, a genuinely joyful God, that nothing can uh, nothing can stop him. And many, what is the what is the phrase? Absolute power corrupts absolutely. You know, so many people who have that same quote unquote power on earth, or at least the perceived power of that on earth. They use it for corrupt ways. They they dominate people. They rule harshly. Um, I think that's the majority of the cases that we see. But God's not that way. Um, God's joy overflows to us. Um, the other concept that I find interesting, <clears throat> and it's a little hard to parse through at first, just because of our natural tendencies to avoid it, but. God's joy really is in himself. He is joyful because of the way he is. He's joyful because of his own beauty. He's joyful because of his own perfections, his own power. Um, and I think many of us, as we 
relate that to maybe people around us who think highly of themselves, we think, man, that, that is such a prideful person. And I personally wrestle with pride. And that's something that I, those are thoughts that I try to avoid in order to be humble, in order to see God more clearly. But for God, he's in a different scenario. Um, he must think that way. And he must think that way because he actually is the greatest, most powerful, most beautiful, most glorious being there is. If he were to think that of somebody else, he would not be God. He would not be uttermost. And so his primary focus, his primary concern is his own glory. For us to know that if there's anything that will bring us delight, it is himself. And I think that's why we are to glorify God in everything we do. We are to communicate that God is the most magnificent being on earth. And I think we are to meditate on that truth. And for me, it's, it's an effort to do so. It, it's not a natural thing that comes to mind. It's not something that I, I don't know, it's not something I naturally think. In, and that's where recently when I'm searching through the scriptures, when I'm reading through, you know, several verses or several chapters a day, that's what I'm looking for. I'm, I'm looking for God's glory. I'm looking for God's love. I'm looking for God's joy, I'm looking for God's forgiveness and grace. I'm not looking to get better at the rule system, although I did before. I'm not looking to memorize the rule book. I'm looking at scripture as a love letter from God. Um, also, there's this concept that God really is our treasure. <clears throat> Think of the passages in the New Testament that talk about the pearl of, big, of great price. You know, the, the, the merchant that finds that pearl and sells everything he has so he can have that, that pearl. Or the, the guy that finds a treasure in a field. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> and sells everything he has so that he can, and buys that field so that he can have that treasure. And Jesus is communicating that to us to show that God himself is that treasure. Um, we're commanded in the Sermon on the Mount to store up treasures in heaven, not to store up treasure on earth where moth and rust destroy. So God himself is our treasure. So in addition to scripture being a... <clears throat> a uh, love letter from God, we can also think of the Bible being a treasure map uh, where, where sin, recognition of sin is a recognition of that's not where the treasure is. That's not the direction where we're going to find the treasure. God is telling us what he likes and dislikes. He's telling us what will blind us from seeing his beauty. What are the actions that actually take us farther away from him? So I, I think that's kind of a cool thought to think of Scripture as a treasure map. And that's not to minimize sin, um, because the consequences of following sin really are, are not good. So it, it's just another way of looking at Scripture, not as a rule book, but as something exciting. We get to discover God. And, and just think about the concept of finding a treasure. Let's say it's a treasure chest full of all kinds of, all kinds of gold. Why is it that we find that exciting? What is it that that would accomplish? And as I think through it, 
if we have those kinds of riches, again, it kind of gets us back to we can pretty much do whatever we want. All the, the cares of bills and all, even the need to work, all that stuff fades away and we can just kind of do what we want. And that, and we're kind of pursuing that happiness. Um, and really, if you think of God as a treasure, God takes care of us in every way and he fulfills our every desire of the soul rightfully viewed but there are so many things that so many desires and passions and lies and half truths and, and all that stuff that that really kind of keep us from seeing god most clearly and i think that's really where you see satan doing his best work as accusing god of different flaws of character and accusing god of not being just and righteous and powerful he's marring god's God's beauty and God's glory so that we don't pursue him so as I've been re reflecting on that and thinking of God as our treasure um, it really helps to avoid sinful tendencies uh, whether that be you know a physical lust that we have um, I've kind of been repeating back to myself that God's more attractive than that person or if I can't get a thought out of my head of a cool idea that I have, then you know, God will bring me more fulfillment than, that, than the execution of that idea. Um, I think we really need to meditate on God's glory. And again, I think we have to see God's glory, and not, not just in terms of this vague, you know, it is hard to, to define, but I think God's glory is, He is more beautiful, than the most beautiful person on this planet. He is more loving than the most compassionate, loving, tender person on this planet. He is more pure than the purest person that we know. He, he eclipses everything we hold as honorable. Um, he eclipses that far beyond what we can ever imagine. And if there's anybody we would ever want to hang out with, man, if we truly knew God's beauty and God's glory, we couldn't take our eyes off of him. We couldn't take our mind off of him. It's like when you first start dating somebody for, for the first time and and it's such an exciting relationship and just our every thought seems to go towards that person, like, like when I was first dating my wife. I think if we truly knew God, that would be, that would be the case. And that's my pursuit. I, I want to find joy and find happiness in really truly knowing God and that's eternal life that we may know him the one true God and Jesus Christ whom he's whom we've whom he sent so and just thinking about um, God's word again looking look at the Bible uh, I think about the passage when Jesus is being tempted in the wilderness and he is fasting for 40 days. Obviously, he's hungry. Uh, I think even scripture said, and then he became hungry after 40 days, which is interesting. Um, but then it says that Satan tempted him with these three basic temptations. And one of those temptations is, um, turn these stones into bread. And Jesus replies with scripture and says, Man shall not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes forth from the Father. I've been reflecting on that. 
Um, there's another passage in Isaiah 55 that also talks about asking them to turn from their sinful ways and instead listening intently to God and inclining their ears. So what is it that God says that nourishes us, that feeds us? Think also when Jesus is talking to the woman at the well and then she goes away back into the city and, and the disciples come and said, Lord, you need to eat. And Jesus said, I have food that you're not aware of. In other words, doing God's will is, is his food. Uh, and we don't, we don't typically think of being nourished in that way. So with this premise of God's glory, his, his absolute beauty and magnificence and his fulfilling character for our souls, every word he can say about himself that communicates the truth of his character and nature feeds us absolutely and we need to listen to what his word says about um, the things that take us further away if we really want to hear him and have the truth of of his beauty revealed to us then we also need to listen to his prescription on staying away from certain um, tendencies, what he calls sin. We're missing the mark. Sin is actually an archery term of how far you were from the bullseye. The measure is sin. And if we're aiming for God and his and becoming acquainted with his beauty, then we're, we're missing the mark when we're sinning. He's, he's not looking to take away our joy, he's looking to increase our joy. So we need to see scripture in that way. So as we as we go to scripture, in fact, maybe you have a hard time going to scripture. Maybe you have a hard time staying in the word. Um, <clears throat> if you see it as a love letter, if you see it as a treasure map, and if you truly believe that God is the best thing for our souls and, and every word that describes him really feeds and nourishes us, um, I think we're, we become confronted with the truth that, okay, we got a little spare time here. Am I going to go to Facebook? Am I going to go play a game? Um, am I going to do some, some other things that maybe I shouldn't do? Rather than going to those things, because we're trying to fill a void, we're trying to be happy, uh, we need to more and more have our eyes opened to the idea that Jesus is the only thing that truly satisfies and that will continue to satisfy. God himself in his person is magnificent and glorious and beautiful enough to fulfill our every need. Um, so that, that's, my, that's my goal is really to get there. And the only way I can get there is continue to ask God for the power of his Holy Spirit to open my eyes to see. Um, otherwise, I'm going to continue in blindness. There's no self-help route here. There, there is no pull up the bootstraps, try harder to get there. It's just simply asking for God's mercy and grace to see him more clearly. And if he is about his glory, and if he is about being known, so that everybody knows how beautiful and glorious he is, then he will answer those things. I think that's exactly what John or what John records about Jesus saying in John 15. 
<clears throat> that if you ask according to God's will, he will answer you. And that's what I'm betting on. So I hope that hope that helps a little bit of understanding God's glory more, <clears throat> of maybe how to read the Bible in a little bit more focused way instead of seeing it as a rule book. Um, so I hope you guys have a great day and a great week.